Good afternoon and welcome to Strategies for Leveraging Managed Services to Augment Your Cybersecurity Team, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by CrowdStrike and TD Cinex Public Sector. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your questions and comments. You can send them in the Q&A box, and we will take them later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time, first we're going to go about, about 40 minutes or so with our main panel discussion featuring D. Young, CISO at UNC Health, Jesse Fasolo, Director, Technology Infrastructure and Cybersecurity and Information Security Officer with St. Joseph's Health, and Drex DeFord, Executive Healthcare Strategist with CrowdStrike. And then we will have our Q&A. So let's jump right in. Lots of good stuff to talk about today. Dee, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Sure. Thanks for having us here today. So I work for UNC Health, University of North Carolina Healthcare System. We're an integrated academic medical center and institution. We have 16 different hospitals spread out through the state of North Carolina. And we also have a medical school, school of uh, nursing, and roughly about over a thousand clinics. Mm-hmm. So we we're not huge, but we're not little. Very good, thank you, Dee Jesse. Uh, I service uh, Saint Joseph's Health, uh, which is a uh, healthcare network uh, located in northern New Jersey. Uh, we provide a full continuum of care uh, for all those in need in our community uh, with a special focus on the poor, the vulnerable, underserved as a very large uh, charity care hospital in the area. And um, as you mentioned, I oversee uh, infrastructure as well as cybersecurity, device integration, telecommunications and clinical engineering, just to name a few of the areas that I oversee and uh, been here for about 10 years. Very good. Thank you, Jesse. Drex? Hi, I'm Drex DeFord. I'm the executive healthcare strategist at CrowdStrike. I'm a uh, retired Air Force officer, 20 years in the Air Force, and a great number of years now a recovering CIO for a number of years. Uh, was at Scripps and Seattle Children's and Stewart Healthcare. Uh, and uh, now just uh, spend my time working with lots of great health systems across the country, uh, customers and prospects, both uh, just trying to make healthcare safer for patients and families. Very good. Thank you, Drex. All right, let's jump right in, Dee. We're going to start with you. How would you describe the funding slash budgeting environment in cyber? Has the macro financial situation in healthcare resulted in you being asked to do more with less? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And um, at least for our health system, I feel very blessed because um, while we've looked at ways that we could cut costs or kind of reduce our technological stack. I have not been asked to, to make cuts within cyber. We've looked at it from other areas um, and kind of tried to also pace some of our new initiatives, um, spreading it out a little more. But um, I think this is something that every healthcare system is dealing with or has dealt with. And I, I, think it's something that we're going to have to 
um, really watch to make sure that we invest in the right places to allow our health systems to continue to grow um, during this threat landscape. Very good, Jesse. Yeah, I have to agree uh, with what Dee had mentioned. Um, really, the economics uh, that healthcare is facing now is really resulting in budgets being compressed. And uh, uh, it's amazing that I hear a healthcare system not looking to further compress or, or uh, remove funding for budgets. Uh, for for my perspective, um, I'm in a similar situation. I think the culture around security has really uh, uh, increased over the years come uh, just because of the threat landscape that's out there and the concerns um, and the insurance costs and everything driving that. But um, I think, you know, there's, there's slow and steady overall increase and you have to be really um, uh, strategic in how to improve or in, in introduce new products in an environment, regardless, based just based on the economics. So, uh, you know, be tactful in what you implement. Um, just because there is new threats, there's new technologies, uh, regulations change that are driving the need for new uh, funding. So you have to just be very, really careful, obviously, going to the well and saying, I need millions versus strategically, I need this, then in this, then how, and then kind of moving up. Um, doing more with less is something I've dealt with uh, for my tenure here at St. Joseph's, uh, just having uh, limited funding uh, available to implement an entire program from the ground up is one of my biggest achievements here. And uh, again, you know, just going from nonconformance to conforming, meeting standards, and then continually and improving upon your posture uh, takes funding. And uh, once you have that culture, organizations understand that. And um, Really, when you look at the resource pools and the license costs and the vendors that are increasing their service fees, all of that uh, is driving the need for more funding in these departments. So uh, it, it's something that uh, the compression, you really have to slow the compression down uh, that's coming from the senior uh, leadership of organizations to let them know, like, everything is growing, everything is coming at us, and we need to continue to invest. Um, Drex. What what are you hearing from the organizations that you are working with? Is there a squeeze being put on cyber budgets and health systems? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of lucky enough to be able to talk to CISOs and CIOs all over the country um, on a pretty regular basis now. I'll tell you that none of them are telling me that they have an excess of budget. Uh, so um, they're all pretty consistently telling me kind of a about three other things, right? One of them is that even if they could get all the positions that they needed, which they usually can't, uh, they probably have a challenge finding the right people with the right skills to do all that work in-house. The second thing they're telling me is that kind of tied into that is the challenge with just executing the fundamentals. They don't have the people. So there's the challenges with like patching and upgrades and modernization okay. and consolidation of of, uh, of cybersecurity uh, projects and, and those kinds of things. And then the third thing is really that the environment just is more complex than ever. There's M&A, there's digital health projects that are coming at you left and right. There's lots of interruptions and new projects that are, that are happening uh, constantly. And then delayed investments in network and medical equipment, and that leads to more exposure too. So you have to be really innovative and creative about how you protect those things. And all of that in an environment where the threat landscape continues to rapidly change and adversaries are constantly innovative on, on inst constantly innovating on 
how they're going to take advantage of you. So yeah, resources are a challenge, but you know, to Jesse's point, I think so is the need to kind of constantly continuously improve the cyber posture of a healthcare organization today. Uh, Very good. Jesse, I think you touched a little bit on the idea of communicating the consequences of any lack of, of investment that you perceive as the head of security. You perceive a certain level of investment as necessary to get to a certain posture, perhaps even just to be in compliance, you know, let alone beyond that. I'm interested, you know, you're, whoever's heading up security, your job is to communicate risk. So I'm interested in the communications that would have to come from the head of security to those approving or not approving the budget related to how that risk would increase if certain funds were either not forthcoming or were taken away. Can you give me any more thoughts about, because that's going to be something dynamic that's going to change over time as the budgeting situation changes. And I think it's important probably for us to discuss this and maybe give out some advice on, without saying the sky is falling, how does the head of security communicate the results of any changes in budget regarding the risk level? Well, I think it's the scope of, uh, the the risk and and communicating that in business sense and business terms that can be relatable. Um, uh, obviously, I would not walk into an office or a building looking for funding and saying the sky is falling. I need this because if that's the case, that means I've waited way too long. I didn't do my job. Um, the the alternative here is to present a case where the funding is is a value for the department, a value for the organization. Um, And you've done your due diligence to the point where you can communicate it in in more layman's terms, where if I add this solution, the risk level can decrease by X amount. Um, Or if I add this uh, amount of staff or this service to replace staff, uh, it could lessen our risk, lessen our exposure, provide us, uh, uh, you know, Drex had mentioned, uh, healthcare organizations slowing down their technology implementations because of budget and and constraints, but that can then propel. And some of those technologies can then lessen risk and and, and, uh, eliminate vulnerabilities in the environment where where you had them before. So I think uh, the communication strategy needs to be uh, direct, but not using uh, uh, nomenclature or, or, you know, technical explanations of risk. I think, when you talk to insurance companies or other healthcare organizations, it's 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 a factor of how does this risk translate to patient care and the ability to provide patient care um, or inability to provide patient care. So once you can boil it down so that if we do not do the investment or if we don't fund this engagement or we don't look at these new service offerings to augment the constriction that we have on staff or resource pools that are available, um, it, it tells a story in a different way, more meaningful to them versus just coming at it from a vulnerability and risk level and red, green, yellow chart. Um, it really explains like it, it's almost a requirement for the business to deliver its mission. Dee, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think those are excellent points, Jesse, and I would agree. Um, I I know that I've said this at, in prior discussions, but I think it's really important Our philosophy is to go deeper in the tools that we have than going wide. 
And what I mean by that, or, you know, technologies is I'd rather my team invest the time and really understand how to use those technologies and use them to the fullest ability instead of adding a new technology here and there. And then my team is, um, you know, semi-trained and we kind of limp along. And and I, I think that's very important. And also with managed service providers that I know we'll get into, you know, it's, it's kind of leveraging those outside experts to help shore up my team or to fill in gaps. And, you know, we've all heard in healthcare that, you know, a dollar for anything else takes away patient care. So I think all of us in healthcare, um, you know, take that very seriously. And I don't know of too many CISOs that are are just adding just to add. You know, usually you need that that risk profile. And I think what Jesse talked about with the red, yellow, green and business terms is so vitally important. And I I'm lucky with my CIO, he's very good at coaching me because it's easy for me to geek out. <laughs> and um, really, you know, he challenges me to really try to better articulate the risk, not only in business terms, but terms that make sense and that people can understand. And I think that's a foundation that you build with your leadership and you start bridging those gaps so that you can continue to educate them and they can educate you without having, you know, geeks speak all over. But I, I think the area too, that we're kind of always looking towards, as Jesse said, you know, if, if something's on fire, we probably haven't assessed the risk correctly. Um, so we want to be proactive and also, you know, kind of looking at those emerging technologies or, um, as you said, Anthony, you know, what are some business initiatives that might change our threat landscape or our footprint um, that we need to assess so that we can make sure that we can support the business? Example I would give is, you know, we have a, had an initiative hospital at home and it was done a couple of years ago. And that was one that we really had to kind of put our thinking caps on and everyone get in the same room and really discuss. It was a great initiative, makes perfect sense. No one wants to be in the hospital, you know, but how do you send someone home and monitor and make sure that those devices are are safe and secure? And so I I think those types of initiatives um, really stretch us at times, but I think that's where we lean on our knowledge with our business leaders and clinical leaders expertise and we stay in our lane, but we, we work together. Very good. Drex, um, I would like your advice that you would give to any security professionals who are being asked to, you know, to adjust their budgets downward about how they should communicate back any changes to the level of risk to the organization that will result in doing that. Yeah, the I love all the comments so far. I mean, my brain works in analogies, and uh, a lot of this, um, as it's turned out for me over the course of my career, has been, uh, I mean, it sounds really sort of basic, but like know your audience, right? I, I briefed a big health system on Friday 
uh, their board of directors. And they had an incredible mix of people in the room on the board. Most of them didn't have any like real experience as healthcare operators. And so a lot of it is trying to find analogies that make sense that everybody can relate to, whether it's eating in a restaurant and sort of the public health rating that's on the door, the score, you know, and trying to, because people, everyone has done some of those kinds of things. And so if you can create a story that helps them understand and is relatable to something that they do on a regular basis, they're way more likely to internalize it and then be supportive and and understand what you're doing. They don't want to know the technical things either, right? They don't want the nuts and bolts and the, you know, the, the slippy spider, they don't want to know all of the names and all of the, you know, the adversaries, they just, they just want you to try to figure out how to relate to them. And, and that ultimately, I think is a lot of what this communication piece boils down to. And it's stories that you have to tell over and over in different ways, not only for the board, but you have to tell it in a different way, sometimes for your executive cabinet, or when you go sit down with all of the surgeons, you have to tell the story in a different way. And when you mm-hmm. go sit down with the supply chain folks, you have to tell the story in a different way. So it's hard. I mean, this work that, you know, D and Jesse and CISOs across the country and around the world do is hard, not just from the technical work that they have to do, but a lot of it is just this translation work that they have to do to help people understand how the work they're doing is keeping business and clinical and research operations safe, which keeps patients and families safe, which keeps the business operating, which keeps the community safe. I mean, these are these are hard concepts um, to learn, but with a lot of experience, you get a lot of these analogies and you you can sort of figure out how to how to do these explanations, how to tell these stories that can make a difference. And so, Drax, I mean, you have to you should take the time. You know, you talk about understanding your audience, right, and customizing your approach to your audience. You have to take the time, even though it's not a waste of time to take the time to even at a very granular level, if you can, like if it's a small group, if it's 10 people or something, you know, know each person, spend some time. There's lots of information out there between LinkedIn and whatnot. Have an idea who you're talking to. If the outcome of that meeting is quite important, invest the time in understanding each individual so you can customize the message, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think the other part of it is like at the wrap up, and this is why Zoom becomes more difficult, right? Because when I'm in a room with 15 people and I'm having a conversation with them, I can pick up on a lot of nonverbals that tells me that like, nope, they've connected with me. They're following the story. They're really engaged or I kind of lost this person. So I can kind of reorient something specifically to them to kind of pull them back into it. In Zoom, you lose a lot of that. You lose sort of facial expressions and hand movements and other things that people might be doing in the room, especially if you have one of those shots that's like way down at the end of the boardroom and people are way down at the other end of the of the camera. So yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of it is uh, figuring out the individuals that you're talking to and figuring out what channel they're on and then making sure that what you're talking about is on the channel that they like to right. receive. It. Right. And this is, it's not silly stuff. It's actually stuff that'll help you get done what you're trying to achieve. All right. Very good. Next question. We're going to start with you, Jesse. How has belt tightening combined with a labor market scarce in cyber skills that Drex touched on affected your approach to amassing the talent mix your organization needs? So this is 
really interesting because it goes in a cloud. Drex and I have discussed cloud in the past. Depending on what you're trying to do may change the talent mix that you need to amass, right? Has there been an evolution in the use of managed services over the last five to 10 years? Is it now more common due to the issues already described about? And that that would be sort of post-pandemic even you could look at. But your thoughts on amassing that talent mix that you need and using in-house managed services and whatever else to do it? Well, I would say to start, it it all depends on the skill, um, the experiences and the services that you're trying to compensate for. Um, For example, uh, you know, uh, we can't focus on uh, longer timelines and provide professional education to those that are on premise and and in staff to do build and develop. Um, obviously, that takes time, right? Coaching and developing staff to learn new technologies. Uh, you, you just threw out a, a big one, right? That's mm-hmm. now uh, influencing a lot of developments is cloud, right? Uh, healthcare systems looking towards cloud, but have existing employees and staff that aren't qualified to the degree that if you look to a managed service or you know outside the organization, you could bring those skills in, accomplish the task much faster, ensuring there's a base level of security because of their knowledge and exposure and experiences and, and kind of build and use that as a development step also for your staff because you're going through the process with on-premise and outsource staff to, to uh, actually implement some of those solutions. Um, uh, some of the uh, staffing talent mix um, that I look for is um, some of the unique areas in, in cybersecurity, such as forensics or, um, uh, for example, penetration testing. Uh, I think those skills, um, while they're granted, you can learn them. Uh, a service that's outside the organization can provide them relatively quick uh, at a much lesser cost than a full, full-time employee would would you know, be, uh, and then the responsibilities that that employee can do while offloading those other tasks outside the organization at a much higher capacity is, is what I'm seeing, um, as, as viable. Um, also the, the salaries, right? So tightening, tightening the, the, the belt, so to speak, um, and the, the labor market itself, um, the, the skills and the certificates and the salaries that are out there right now, um, any highly qualified security cyber professional is already picked up by a very large organization being paid very well. To recruit and retain that talent and pull them back into your organization will cost much more than most likely your budget and or the salary band requires you to be in. Um, so you're almost battling with, I cannot recruit the talent that's qualified to the degree I need them to be qualified for, while other services out there may be much more uh, affordable or attractive to bring in uh, to compensate. And, and I know D had mentioned that gaps, um, you know, doing that, uh, approaching it is, is essentially closing the gap. Um, and then the second part here, um, you know, the evolution, uh, as there's more solutions um, to, to budget and resource constraints, um, salaries need to increase, right, to compensate. Organizations need to understand um, Cybersecurity is one of those environments that the salaries aren't going to stay around for three to five years at the bands and levels they are. Um, almost they have to be revisited every year. The skills assessment have to be revisited almost every year to make sure you have the right mix in the environment, in that team to facilitate. Uh, and it's it's just because there's too much technologies being forced upon healthcare 
uh, all of those legacy environments that Drex talked about that are plaguing healthcare. You need people in order to uh, on staff to manage them, maintain them. Um, and, and that's a legacy mindset and legacy skill that you need that's now lacking in the environment because those people aren't around anymore. And then now you have new technologies to compound that. So you have old and a mix of new. And then how do you stretch that across the same team? You almost are forced to look at other resources, both inside and outside the organization to fill uh, the technology and, and talent needs of the organization. Great stuff. Great stuff. Drex, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I guess I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of looking at this from the, from the perspective of how do you decide what you're, you know, if, if you think that you're not going to be able to do everything in house, how do you decide what it is that you take out of house versus what do you keep in house? I mean, Jesse's comments were like loaded with, I kind of want to go back and write it all down. Right. I know you will, there will be a transcript <laughs> after this is done. Yeah. So for the folks who are listening, go read the transcript. Cause there was like, you know, 10 gold nuggets uh, in that. But I think about the question, you know, the, what do we keep? What do we let go? I think of the question more like this. And I think, I think it's about focusing on the outcome that you want. So today, I think the primary cybersecurity outcome is to stop breaches and to stop clinical and business and research disruption. That's the thing we can't really tolerate in the community or for patients and families. So, you know, sure, you have to, you know, check boxes for compliance requirements. You have to make sure you're managing your, you know, security framework. But the outcome ultimately is to stop breaches. So how do you do that? What's the standard you should look for as a way to be in the best possible position to stop breaches? One of those is something we call 11060. So the ability for the team to be able to, within a minute, one, be able to detect you've been alerted that there's something bad happening in the environment. Within 10 minutes, you're able to conduct an investigation and confirm that there's really a problem. And within 60 minutes, you're able to isolate or remediate the problem, 11060, the problem being the adversary, right? So that they can't affect the rest of the environment, 11060. If you can do that in-house with your team and you can do it 24-7, 365, holidays and weekends, vacations, all of that, then you're able to stay ahead of the adversaries. <clears throat> we know that the adversaries move laterally, meaning from the time they break into the first machine until they move to the next machine, they break out. We call it breakout time too. We know that that's about 84 minutes. So if you can stay ahead of that 84-minute breakout time, you've got a design that is devastatingly effective against ransomware, and you'll take a huge step toward stopping breaches. If you can't do that in-house, if that is not possible, then I think that's the point where you start to ask for help from, you know, partners and peers and talk to others who have gotten to the 11060 model to kind of see how they've done it. And a lot of this is every environment is different. Every organization is different. There may not be a perfect answer that is like a glove for every organization, but there are, there are several organizations that have kind of already made this model work. And, you know, plagiarism is the most sincere form of flattery. So ask and steal and, you know, look for help. That's really a sign of strength. Very good. D, your thoughts? Yeah, fascinating. I, I want to have another call and just 
chat with Jesse and, and Rex. Um, this is outstanding. I, w- I would agree with both of um, their comments and, and there were so many jewels. I think for us, um, you know, luckily, even in a very rich technological environment with the research triangle here in North Carolina, um, we've been very fortunate on our staffing. Um, and I attest that to our culture, our team. You know, my goal when I first started, I, I started February, the last week of February 2020. Mm. Great timing. Yeah. But what I wanted to do coming into a new organization and a new role was I, I repeatedly said, I don't want to break things. And what I meant by that was the team. You know, I didn't want to break what they had. I wanted to add to it. And so I think that the team culture is so important. And so many times we don't really talk about that. The other thing, and and Drex said it right at the end, but I steal people all the time. And I'm unabashedly, you know, I will steal them. I don't need someone to be, you know, the Uber security operations center, you know, the red team, because what I need is I need people that understand the business and I need people that can help us mitigate risks. And I have teams of people that can be highly technical, but for the majority of our, our roles that we're ending up filling, it's been those kind of cross-functional people that can really talk about um, other areas within the hospital or the health system. I think that's key. For us, um, right around March 2020, it was already in process. Um, we did leverage uh, managed outside um, VSOC, a virtual security operations center, um, because we couldn't do what Drex was talking about. We We couldn't really handle the load and also make sure that we were remediating and, and jumping on those as quickly, especially 24-7. So we've leveraged an external firm, but what we do is we have them do the lower priorities. So the ones and the twos, you know, as far as issues, they threat hunt, they help us with some other areas because we don't have a red team per se. But really what they're doing is they're freeing up my experts to be able to really handle those that are gnarly and critical and, you know, kind of have legs and they seem to be going on and and really allow them to have the time. If not, they were just handling tickets. So that's number one. And, And I do think that the partnerships is so critical. You know, when Jesse was talking one of the things we're in right now, hot and heavy, is all the AI, machine learning, chatbots, all of that, um, you know, leveraging more of our, our cloud platform for our analytics. And that's where we've really leveraged outside experts, because I might not have someone who knows, you know, open AI or, you know, really understands machine learning or, you know, Azure DevOps. I don't need them to know that if I have that resource, those experts. But then what I want them to do is teach us how to fish, you know, help us up level 
my team that's already experts that know the history, know the organization, but might not know those applications or those tools. And then you can hire out and kind of fill in the blanks. Does that require a specific conversation to say, hey, I want to, we want to leverage you for these services, but I want my team to be learning from you as you go. And I want that in the contract. Absolutely. So you have to get specific. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I get very specific. Um, any, you know, again, I said earlier, we want to go deep. If someone is chosen as a vendor, I expect a partnership. And so I expect them to be, you know, in the trenches with us. And so what that means is it could mean a customer advisory group, or it could mean that in our contracts, we're laying out what we want them to do, help us with, you know, kind of mitigate and I think it's also leveraging those that have already done it, you know, and for the AI ML, we've been doing, you know, AI since about 2015. So that's not new, but the open AI and the chat bot, we're actually implementing our own instance um, secure and safe. So we've leveraged market leaders to help us identify that and, and help us build it out. Uh, Drex, thoughts on the types of of work that are most appropriate for managed services? Um, some let's explore that briefly so people have in their mind the, the best type of things for this, or is it kind of anything? Can you use any? Can you outsource anything, Drex? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm just sitting here thinking about that. It's a. It's an interesting question. Um, you know, look again. I, I would say that there's not really sort of like a single hand in glove solution for everybody. But I think there are things that are the noisiest parts of the environment. And Dee kind of talked a little bit about those threat hunting, endpoint detection and response. Um, you know, we know today that 70% of uh of of the incidents that that happen uh usually have some kind of connection to identity, um, meaning that People aren't breaking in, they're logging in because they've stolen credentials from somewhere else or they bought credentials off the dark web. So you're not looking for just a needle in a haystack. You're looking for a particular piece of hay in the haystack. And, and that's challenging to do. And so that level of expertise, this is ultimately what it sort of boils down to. These are the kinds of capabilities that every organization needs. Those are the things that I would look to partners to say, can you help us with this? Because all of these one-off unique things that are going on in my organization, generative AI conversations, specific M&A events, um, lots of other stuff around projects, what's the next distraction and the next distraction, the next, let your staff deal with those things because they're in the context of my organization and the people that I work with and the, and the, the stud, you know, the claw, the, the skeletons in the closet that have been there for 10 years that I need to make sure that I don't disrupt. Um, let your folks work on those things. The things that are the 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 stuff that can that can really nail you because they're kind of expected. This is the util the cyber utility that we should be running. Go to partners and ask them about helping with that driving that 11060 model getting to the point where you feel really comfortable that that's covered 
so that you and your team can cover everything else. And that can be really disruptive, right, to a lot of organizations who have folks who like to do kind of a lot of the nuts and bolts kinds of things. You you have to kind of upset their apple cart in some ways. And a lot of this is just about the world has changed, the adversary has changed, and you have to think differently about how you're going to build a cyber program to protect your organization. Yeah, we're going to go into that upsetting the apple cart more because I think that's really interesting. Um, but Jesse, I just want to run the, the question by you. I'm hearing two areas uh, that where managed services make sense. And they're kind of at opposite ends of the spectrum. One is sort of a, a blocking and tackling, right? Get the basic stuff off, off the plate of your people so they can maybe uh, work at the higher end of their license or do more interesting work. So there's sort of that lower end work we maybe want to offload to managed services. But then at the other end of the spectrum, we're also talking about really cutting edge stuff that we don't have the talent mix or the people to deal with, like generative AI in the cloud. So maybe that's good for managed services because we don't have that expertise. So it's like almost you could look at both ends of the spectrum and and say, and then and then D made the point that, um, and and Drex made the point that some of some of the stuff that's not going to be well, uh, sending it off. It's stuff where you really need to understand the unique operations of the organization. So I need people that know, you know, where the skeletons are in the closet or where the bodies are buried, whatever the horrible expression you want to use. <laughs> where, where that's maybe stuff we got to keep in house. And uh, I don't know your thoughts, Jesse. Um, I, I similar to uh, D and Drex, I, I think there's. I, I look at it as program level. Um, so for, for me, some areas that bode well for external assistance in addition is, is really your auditing, your compliance audits against your program, your, your technologies, um, the documentation capabilities. Uh, I find if you bring an outside party in to document um, policies, procedures, run books, playbooks, uh, so on and so forth. It's a, it's a valuable experience to bring external uh, consultants to or contracted work to, to come in and do that level. Uh, again, you it, other eyes uh, are much better than, than your own in those circumstances. I, I also see a technical side. You called it uh, a kind of a, um, a tactical um, where the SIM would be one, right? Uh, SIM is one, SOAR is a new technology for cybersecurity uh, that adds a level of automation um, and, and talent just not there. So you need to consult outside. Uh, emergent technologies, like we mentioned, um, if you don't know it you're, yourself as a, as a SME or as, at, a, at a high level, seek to go outside and, and get consultant there. Um, lower levels, like you mentioned, SOC. Um, uh, immediately, uh, there, right now in the, in the world of cybersecurity, there's too many logs that any one person or any one team uh, can logically go through and, 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 feed and run through and, and report out and actually take actions on. So um, what Drex was talking about, I went through the exercise of can we facilitate this uh, and, and, and do uh, a 11060? Can we do that? Uh, can we deliver that? And, and obviously, then you start making decisions on these services that can be easily taken off to get that, uh, at least the alert and the acknowledgement and the investigation started. Um, and then um, we mentioned EDR. Uh, obviously, that uh, it, one of the biggest vectors is coming into the organization and taking over a computer or command and control and then going laterally through the organization. If you don't have a good understanding and, and handle on all thousands and thousands of devices, 
uh, you need to partner with an organization that can help you see everything all at once in a much greater scale, 24-7, 365. Um, and then also on a managerial side, um, often times are, times, are, uh, times are tough. Teams are lean, getting leaner. New positions are hard to get when they do open. Um, bridging the gap, right? Looking at uh, uh, try to buy or consultants to fill the open positions to, to ensure you have the level of talent acquired or needed in the department. Um, I think of every open position in a cybersecurity team as a vulnerability yeah. and a risk itself. Um, so I would I would immediately look to that as as a as a way from a managerial perspective to uh, look for managed services as well. And then um, popular is uh, VC so right. So if you need to bolster the program, um, obviously you could search all you want on the internet. But why, like Drex said, uh, plagiarism is the best form here. Uh, bring in a consultant service that will help you at a program level design and ultimately help you strategize what needs to be worked on and when and kind of build out your one to three year plan with other other uh, knowledgeable, maybe in the healthcare industry, maybe other industries, maybe you want to bring in technologies that are found in finance or other um, industries and bring them in and bring that knowledge to 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 devise a program around. Um, so those are the areas I see most appropriate for managed services to be. By the way, I think it's imitation, not plagiarism, Jeff. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we'll just go with plagiarism. That's fine. Um, let's talk a little bit about, this is the, the real sticky stuff, right? I mean, everyone loves technology or technology people. They like technology. We're comfortable with technology. Dealing with human beings is, can be incredibly unpleasant, especially, as Drex mentioned, when you're asking human beings to no longer do something they've been doing for the last 20 years, and you want them to learn some cool new skills. Well, that sounds great, but perhaps it's not perceived as great by the individual who's been, you know, moving widget A to widget B for 20 years and feels like they really enjoy moving widget A to widget B. And you want to have CrowdStrike move widget A to widget B. So they're not very happy about that. Anyway, uh, what's the best way to let employees know that the work they had been doing is now going to be done by somebody else? Uh, and that, you know, oh, you're going to get to work at the top of your license now. And, and you know, here's an interesting question. You have certain things you need done that perhaps you're saying this individual will be really good at this thing. We need this thing done now. What if we send them off and they'll learn how to do this thing? But what if they have no interest in doing this thing, right? So do you start with, hey, we want to get you to some higher level stuff. We're going to offload this stuff. What do you want to do? Or do you start at the other end with, we need this thing done. You know, which one of our team could possibly, you know, take this on? So this is the human sticky, painful change disruption stuff, Drex, if I have talked and I have talked about. So D, I'll start with you. What's the best way to handle this sort of disruption and repositioning of the team and changing skill sets and roles and things like that? Wow, this one's a, a good one. <laughs> I I think from my perspective, it, it's really a couple of foundational things. Number one, these changes don't usually happen overnight. So there's usually a runway. There's some kind of notice as far as, you know, the, the technology changing or, you know, what, what we're going to do changing. I, I don't think there's very many surprises and there shouldn't be. You know, I shouldn't just sign a contract and then the next day 
tell my team, hey, you got new jobs. I mean, that's not that's not what I would want. And and that's definitely not how we would work within our team. And so I think that's number one. And I think Jesse mentioned it and and Drex has as well. You know, when we're talking about budgeting, when we're talking about staffing, one of our roles is to really be strategic and look not just tactically, but look longer term. And then it's also helping the team to see the path forward. And what I mean by that is, you know, I again, I came in in February 2020 and it was during COVID with with healthcare, so we didn't make a lot of changes. But our team interactions, I I would kind of plant the seed and kind of say, you know, we really should start looking at this as well. And, you know, kind of continuing to educate, inform, you know, help them to see where the organization is going and the technology. But I think it's also um, having those crucial conversations and helping them and knowing what, where did they want to go? What do they want to do? You know, what's the longer term goal for them? And so it's really kind of hearing from the individual where they want to go. Um, I I know in our area right now, you know, I mentioned the AI and uh, analytics really kind of spending some time and, you know, it's talking to the different team members and assessing their strengths and also seeing if they're, they're interested in it. So I think it's a twofold, but I think it's really important to have that relationship and that dialogue because, you know, I want long-term employees. I, I want people that are happy where they work. They're, I want to also have strengths-based team. And so what I mean by that is, is really leveraging what everyone's good at and trying to find those technologies. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all geeks in, in cyber and, and we got into technology because we enjoyed learning, most of us, and enjoyed those challenges. So I think for the most part, most people that I've noticed have already seen some of the changes and usually can jump on pretty quickly. But Worst case, you know, yeah, we have we have to have those crucial conversations that this is a business decision. We have a risk. We can't mitigate it. We're looking at this tool or technology and here's what it's going to do to you or your job. Perfect. Excellent. Jesse, your thoughts? Um, yeah, just to, I guess, echo the um, part of uh, part of my PhD program that I had completed was uh, focusing on healthcare succession planning and professional development. And both of those, uh, to Dee's point, um, should be ongoing, but you, you should, the crucial conversation should be much more pleasant if essential planning and development was done well in advance. Um, so identifying the, ta- the staff talents your pool, your resource pool, so to speak, determining where in the organization or where in the team that they could leverage their skills or uh, bolster their skills to then move to different areas and different roles within the team. Uh, For example, we talked about SOC being one of the easiest ones or MDR or um, EDR rather, Um, instead of just focusing on alerts and taking reaction steps to those alerts, uh, transferring and, 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 and 
identifying them as uh, opportunity to start looking at uh, audits or assessments or uh, using their skills of analytics and looking and focusing on alerts to and just shift it to the left or shift it to the right within the organization or the team. Um, the leader in that in those areas overseeing those staff should easily be able to determine what path those employees have. Um, so you don't have to get to that part of a crucial conversation and say, okay, you know, the end of the road is here and we're going to, you know, give you two weeks to find some place in the organization. Um, I think, I think at that point, um, while granted, it does happen from time to time, especially, uh, you know, in healthcare, I think there's a knowledge ability where the, the knowledge that that person in an IT or information security role is, is more valuable than, than eliminating or removing the position. I think you could shift that value to many other areas within the IT organization or cybersecurity team and, uh, and, and make better value of it. And again, having that knowledge of what's in the closet uh, or, or what's under the covers or, or whatever uh, term you, you had come up with before, um, you know, is very important, right? Regardless, you bring a managed service to do a function, they're going to rely on the knowledgeable staff that was once in the environment to say, okay, which direction do I go? I can do the job at a higher level, but I still don't know where I am because this is not my environment. So you need vital skills and vital knowledge of the environment and uh, so-called so insider knowledge uh, to be able to facilitate that. Excellent. Drex, your thoughts? Yeah, Jesse, you've defended your dissertation. <laughs> I have. I have. All right. So you're Dr. Jesse now? I am Dr. Fasolo, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you, I, I mean, all of that, right, from Dee and Jesse, I think language is super important. I would never talk about getting assistance from a partner to, you know, improve the cyber program or build a more agile program to support where the business and clinical research operations are going. I'd never talk about that as outsourcing, right? Um, by its nature, what you're trying to do here is create a situation where um, you can you can improve the environment uh, that you have. That doesn't mean laying people off, right? But when orgs either can't get the positions that they need or they have a 30% vacancy rate on positions they already have or both, a lot of your staff looks at that and also understands like there's a lot of gaps that we're not covering. Um, if you've been doing the planning, if you've been having the conversations that Jesse and Dee sort of talks about, you hopefully have kept the people who are the people who are ready to change and are agile and really want to make a difference. Um, that to me is the, the piece of work that winds up being incredibly important. It's not at the point that you're going to decide to partner with someone. It's the pre-work leadership that you've been doing for a long time to put your staff in a position to be ready for any kind of change to help make the program better. That's what's incredibly important here. Uh, question from the audience. Interesting question. Uh, sort of relates to third-party risk. Um, when you're using a managed service provider, uh, you're probably going to give them the same or maybe even extra attention from that third-party risk assessment mm -hmm. that you're doing for any third party. Um, that's an interesting thought. Is it the same? Is it a different approach? Um, I mean, obviously, you assume companies like CrowdStrike and, and those managed service providers are going to have their house in order, right? <laughs> so what are your thoughts there, Dee? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, who's guarding the hen house? Right. And I, 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 it's so important to have that partnership, but you assess the risk ongoing and, you know, it's part of your third party risk assessment. But I think solar winds uh, really changed it for everyone that we really, you know, that was a sentinel event, at least in our world, because rarely did we think about, you know, those companies in our network so deeply and those tools, you know, we were used to Microsoft vulnerabilities and others, but not something so systemic and so uh, widely used. So I think all of us have um, kind of re reassessed and that is something that we do ongoing. The other thing that I also do is, you know, if we do outsource something like pen testing that I talked about before, I change out the the organizations um, just to kind of double check. Uh, I think SLAs are very important. I think also our contract terms of what we're going to assess and, and really um, expect the managed service provider or the partner to to kind of adhere. I I think it's an area that we can all mature in as well. Jesse, would you have any different approach to reviewing a possible uh, cyber managed services partner than you would for your normal third party reviews? Um, I, I think back to insider knowledge, right? So uh, I would assume that the organization that I'm going to partner with needs to be a trusted resource and partner to to a much higher level than just one organization coming in to do an assessment. So, uh, you know, the, like she mentioned, the solar winds um, is was an event that that opened everyone's eyes to a new capability that was unfounded. Um, so since then, uh, all of my partnerships, all of my relationships with uh, MSPs and with other service providers or uh, ad hoc services that I acquire, um, I, I go through different questions um, to understand what level of attention, what level of access, what level of scope do they have, what happens if, right, those if scenarios that now are new, um, because we just lived through them a couple through through the last couple of years. What happens if and having a, a playbook or a runbook to uh, you know immediately disconnect, remove those uh, whether it's hardware, a partnership with uh, hardware uh, product on services or services uh, on on the environment. How to remove them immediately from the environment and disconnect? Um, those conversations need to be had a little deeper than previous uh, previously were. Um, when you pick an MSP, and uh, and honestly, everyone's getting attacked. Most of these organizations, uh, these large MSPs, have much higher skilled people at a much higher level and much wider than my organization could ever imagine to be. Uh, so the probability of them uh, identifying something, resolving it, remediating it, is at a much higher level than if I just assume that responsibility within our own team. Uh, so again, I think selectively outsourcing certain capabilities, understanding the partner, reviewing the partner to a much deeper level, depending on what access they have to your data or your environment. And I think all of those things combined make for a successful engagement with an MSP. 
Very good. We're almost out of time. Drax, I'm going to give you the last word. You could either address uh, the last uh, points that we were discussing or anything else you want to send us off uh, into the cloud with. Well, maybe not the cloud, maybe on-prem, but either way. I mean, just really quickly, I'll take a shot at the last one too. Um, yeah, absolutely. If you have somebody helping you with you know, managed security services, managed detection or remediation, uh, make sure that that company is using the same capabilities that they're trying to get you to use. Those are the capabilities they should be using internally too. Look at their track record. Have they been breached? Have their customers been breached? Those are things that you're going to want to know. And those should be in that additional question set uh, that you're asking ultimately, right? You want a partner who believes in their stuff uh, so much that they use the same stuff to protect themselves. I guess that's the eat the dog food, eat your own dog food model. But um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been great fun uh, being on the panel today and I appreciate the time. Yes, yes. Wonderful panel, despite the botched metaphors, right? Well, we were really <laughs> struggling there with some of those. So re regarding continuing education, you can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and go to our website to register for upcoming panels. With that, I want to thank our panel. This was a lot of fun. D. Young, Jesse Fasolo, and Drex DeFord. I want to thank CrowdStrike and TD Cinex Public Sector for sponsoring and you for attending. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.